Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Incomparable, number 681, September 2023. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about the recently completed second season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Ten more episodes. Remember when seasons were longer? Well, now they got 20 episodes of Strange New Worlds, but it took them two seasons to do it. I am joined by my wonderful crew. Who knows if we will at some point anomalously break into song. Um, it could happen, but it would be highly improbable. Gene McDonald is here. Hello. Uh, as uh, Nurse Chapel would say, I'm ready. <laughs> Joe Rosensteel is here. Hi, Joe. Hi. Look. I'm sorry. I'm going to hold up. I'm just going to keep this like 100% profesh, but I was thoroughly unprepared for how hot young Spock was going to be. Like what? The body, the face, the ears, what? He, uh, did, Ethan Peck worked out in the, in the off season. Uh, pumped Spock, swole Spock. Uh, Erica Ensign's here. Hi. I'm Erica Ensign. I fly the Zeppelin. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I fly the Zeppelin. I fly the Zeppelin. And Dan mm-hmm. Warren is here. Noted Star Trek fan, Dan Warren. Hi, Dan. <laughs> uh, the force is... No. Oh, you know, no. Watching Star Trek is a complicated profession. Uh, one might say that. Hello. Uh, I was looking for a Chris Pike, Chris Pike quote and I couldn't find one fast enough, so I am definitely just way behind here. All right. Uh, Star, uh, Star Trek. Hey, Strange New Worlds kept doing what it was doing in season one, right? Which is... Having fun, uh, having character arcs, uh, having standalone episodes instead of like one plot that goes over the whole uh, season. And uh, I guess before we get started breaking down the individual episodes, um, I wanted to ask sort of like any overall feelings about uh, any anything you know different in season two, season one. Did they do it better? Did they do it? Keeping in mind also, which I think is fascinating, that they made season two not knowing the reaction to season one because it wasn't, <laughs> they, they were shooting it when it was just starting to air. Uh, so they didn't really know, uh, made creative decisions based on making season one, but not based on the reaction to season one. Um, so by the yeah. end of season two, were they aware then, like, were they still working on part of season two? when they got the reaction to season one? Because that would explain some things. I think they were were still shooting, but I don't know if they were finished. I think they might have been finished writing, mm, but, okay. but I don't think they were done shooting. I was really, like, I loved the first season. It was so good. I just really, really, really enjoyed it. And I was super excited for season two to come. Like so much so that, uh, speaking of Hot Spock, I watched the entirety of the 10 Things I Hate About You TV show, which is terrible and you should not watch it unless you really just want to stare at Ethan Peck a little bit longer. Uh, Like that was how I got myself (laughs) through the gap between the two seasons. And when the season two started, I was a little worried for a few weeks. I'm not going to lie. It uh, it was fun, but it it definitely took a few episodes, as Mm -hmm. the reviewers all said, to really kick it into gear. And by the end i was like okay i'm i'm fine now but i was i was i was concerned i 
actually think I liked, I think season two might be stronger. I remember feeling uneven about parts of season one, like really liking uh, the characters and thinking the production quality is really good, but uh, that there were some stories that I felt like were like, some were really good and some were like, okay, that was fine. Um, And I feel like this season, it started for me. I agree. It started a little bit slow, but it quickly for me ramped up and I think hit highs that the first season did not quite manage to reach, which is impressive in and of itself. And I also want to call specific like uh, kudos, I think, to um, in a 10 episode season, also doing a show that really does feel like an ensemble cast, because I think that's something Mm -hmm. Star Trek has Mm -hmm. struggled with in the past is that fundamentally it often comes down to and, and we're talking about shows where they were doing like 20 plus episodes a season, right? Like that's a very different beast than 10 episodes. Um but like, you know, you look at TNG and it's like, all right, you got a lot of stories about Picard. You got a lot of stories about Data. You got some stories about Worf. And then everybody else gets like an episode every once in a while. Um, or if you're Beverly Crusher, you get like three episodes the entire show. Um, but I, I am so impressed with the fact that Anson Mount, especially, despite being the nominal lead of the show, is seems very willing to step back and let everybody else take the spotlight. And I think that's a real testament to the strength of the ensemble is that everybody I really feel gets a chance to dig into their characters. And he is not like the star of the show. Like he's not even in the first episode of the season. And I understand, I believe he was on parental leave, Yeah, but like, but still, like you're like we're gonna do a whole like season premiere of the show, and our captain is going to be in two scenes, and then in a bunch of the other episodes, he's not even really in them that much. But that, again, it doesn't matter. I think that's so impressive. And I again, I think that he, there are a lot of people I think who would take the star of the show as being like this. Show, it must be about me all the time. Uh, and I think it's great that they have this very strong ensemble and they know exactly how to use it. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with. You know, what we've said so far, the, the beginning of the season didn't start so strong and then they give everybody a time to shine um, throughout the season. Although I feel like they do make some um, less than stellar choices with Dr. Mbenga still. Um, I didn't love our season character long arc for him. Mm. Um, it didn't feel like that really fulfilled much of anything. And we can get into that when we get into the episodes. But uh, that was one thing where that was towards the end of the season where we had an episode focused on him and it, it didn't quite work out, but we were sprinkling stuff about it in those first few episodes um, throughout the season. So I, I, I don't know, but I'm glad they gave him some focus uh, instead of him just being uh, there for the, the, the name. So when season one, episode one, I remember thinking like I did not expect frisky vulcans that was (laughs) that was a new concept for me and for season two i really didn't didn't expect the friskiness to be such a big part of the plot (laughs) again um i enjoy it uh for sure you know and if you you know are enjoying ethan peck as much as i am um and nurse tapple i really like her um but yeah i mean the romance uh quotient of the show right now is such that uh, over on Agents of Smooch, we talk about like, should we be doing a Star Trek episode? <laughs> because there's a lot to talk about. So it was a. Uh, um, I do. I liked the season 
uh, very much. I think I'm probably one who liked episode one better than most people have um, talked about. I think it didn't, maybe it didn't live up to like just the amazing first season, the feelings that we had about it. But I think, you know, the bar was set really high. And in fact, so high, there were moments where this season where I was like, thinking, oh, I don't know if I enjoyed that as much as I expected to, you know, it's on some of the, the you know, uh, let's say, call them gimmick episodes. I think I was expecting more. But then when I rewatched them, I, I enjoyed them thoroughly. But um, the bar was set so high. So, you know, I have to say, like, I, I, I don't do a lot of rewatching, but every once in a while, I will rewatch a random episode of something or more likely like a whole season of something. And I think I'm, you know, just sort of looking at the episode titles and the, the the synopses and stuff. And I think if I were to go back and watch like either the first or second episode just on its own, not having the weight of expectation of season two coming, I think I would like I love those episodes thinking back. It's like, yeah, that was really good. I think it was just the the, the placement and the fact that it's especially for a first episode without yes. Anson Mountain. I was like, where's my captain dad? Like, I, <laughs> I, I need him. And uh, and I do need him. But that was a good episode. And I, I liked seeing Spock because we got plenty of Spock in that episode. So I, I don't think I have a problem with the episodes themselves. I think uh, just as standalones. But in the context of the season rolling out in front of me, it, it still felt very rocky. I think the, I mean... I'm glad Gene liked the first episode. I, I think that we can understand that they made an interesting creative decision to say, okay, Anson Mount's not going to be here um, or not going to be as available because he just had a baby. And so we're going we're gonna to be a little lighter on Anson Mount. And they were, and I think that's great because it is an ensemble. And I, I also appreciated the fact that they, you know, why do you have that many main characters if all you ever do is tell stories about Pike and Spock, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. why, why do you do that? That said... I think one of the weakest things in the season was the Mbenga and Chapel are actually war veterans who yes. invented a su super mm -hmm. soldier serum and they punch <laughs> a bunch of Klingons in the episode one. It was a weak, it wasn't Pike not being in it, I think, that made that episode weak. Yeah. It was that it was about this season-long story arc that was about a subject that just, it just turned me off, that your healers are actually super weapons. I don't know. It just didn't, it, mm -hmm. uh, it didn't like I, it. I will say I think that what I, I I did really like the episode with Mbengo's flashbacks. I thought that showing them in the war, like essentially working like the trauma unit in the war, I thought that was a really interesting perspective of something that we don't see as much in mm -hmm. Star Trek. But I agree that I didn't like what we're going to do about that is make amazing drugs and, <laughs> and murder people. I thought it was just like <laughs> an interesting genre choice to be like, we're going to do a hardcore war movie sort of and uh, yeah i thought that was effective but yes i agree that these the honestly the science fiction part of it was the least effective part yeah and i think that was what i was getting at earlier with the mbanka stuff that they tried to sprinkle throughout the season because he's a sparring partner and it's all supposed to tie into the uh under the cloak of war episode and like dan said the flashbacks are great and you really feel the trauma that these characters are are experiencing that are that they're remembering um but uh i don't think that they quite it quite worked in total um yeah. across the season Should, shouldn't have him being a doctor and being healers been enough like that's an interesting story in of itself like especially the bit where they have like i put the people in the pattern buffer 
when we can't save them and then they have mm-hmm. to make the decision to clear the people out to save the new people. Like that is enough story right there. I mean, like yeah. MASH made an entire show and movie about <laughs> yeah. like dealing with this. It's like, you just go with that. You don't need to make them also killers and have to be conflicted about it. That is a hat on a hat. Yeah. Now, yeah. Super Soldier Serum feels weird in Star Trek anyway. Mm-hmm. And then for it to be Very. the doctor who has it and I guess sort of invented it or I don't even know, but like it's weird and for him to carry it with him apparently on missions. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess that's, we could view that as a character trait, but I just found it completely at odds with how I read that character and knowing his history in the war, I still don't really get it. It seems like a thing that haunts him and that they both want to get away from that. And yet he's like, Christine, you never know when you're going to be trapped on a Klingon ship and have to punch some Klingons. So I I got the stuff here. And I it just, feels, uh, yeah. It almost feels like a really simplistic, like, okay, we want him to have, you know, something. He already had a tortured past in the fact that his daughter was ill and he was keeping her in the pattern of mm-hmm. this yeah. the first season. And then now we're like, okay, well, we need to give him something else. What could it be? <laughs> oh, he's a doctor. Let's say he used to kill people. Oh. That's the opposite of what doctors do. Whoa, yeah, <laughs> do dude. More and I'm just like, arm. yeah. Right? <laughs> and I, I misread just, that I, oath. <laughs> I feel like it was. It would have. I would have liked to have seen him dealing with his tragic backstory uh, in something that didn't feel so completely ridiculous and incongruous and simplistic. That's all. I, I don't even understand. You know that I, I, that has confused me all along. Is that he had this daughter? Where did she come in? You know, in the 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 framework time wise of the Klingon War and. Uh, you know, end up in the pattern buffer of the Enterprise. That's like, and I enjoyed, I really enjoyed the the fantasy episode from season one. And, you know, her story was, you know, the key to that one. So I was okay, even though it was, it was weird storyline. Yeah, I guess Mbenga. But at least it felt Star Trek-y, you know? It did feel Star Trek-y. This, yeah, <laughs> this was a, yeah. a different animal. Um, but um, I did enjoy seeing them punch Klingons. I'm sorry, you know, they couldn't have done all really? that Klingon hand-to-hand combat. Um, I don't know. And then they wouldn't they have did it well. jumped out I will the airlock, which I thought was kind yeah. of cool. And, of course, was a uh, foreshadowing of... Uh, the final. Episode. So what? What was um, the thing that I liked the most in episode one is that uh, we get to meet our new chief engineer, who is Pelia, played mm-hmm. by Carol Kane, and yes. not only a kind of person you don't see a lot on sci-fi series in that she is an older woman, but I li- really enjoyed that she not only sniffs out the fact that they're about to steal the Enterprise yes. and and go out on this mission, but that um, when she sniffs it out, she says, "You're doing it wrong." This is how you steal the Enterprise. And by the way, I am I am in on all of this and I'm going to be your chief engineer when it, when it's I'm, all of a sudden done. It's a quick, fun quick, twist. Quick question. How many times has the Enterprise been stolen? <laughs> so I many. I like, don't talk about that, times. Dan. They should really yeah. like put a low jack on it or something, right? Like any sort of lock. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, although I, I'm not... I mean, April... April reprimands Spock at the end of the episode and it's sort of like, yeah, but you, you know, you could have stopped them and you're like, no, 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 yeah. no. Go ahead. Starfleet's security Uh, is poor. Um, I I also think because of the ramifications of the season-ending cliffhanger, not only do we not have Pike, we don't have number one in this episode, and it does give the other characters stuff to do, which is interesting, but I also feel their absence, especially their absence after not watching the show for a year. Uh, You want to see Pike in number one. uh, They're not there. 
And in episode two, that's the payoff. So they've basically done this thing where they've done the deferral of the cliffhanger, essentially, from season right. one into episode two, where there is the courtroom drama about how is number one going to um, going to be allowed back in Starfleet because obviously she's going to be. So how is that going to work and what's the argument going to be? And I, although, you know, I liked seeing Pike and number one in that episode, I have to admit, I didn't really like episode two that much either. I thought that it was an okay Star Trek law episode, but like it didn't, it did not carry the um, emotional weight that something like Measure of a Man might. It, it was, which is a high bar, I will admit. I love yeah, that episode so high. much. It's a real high bar. But like, it was fine, but I, I felt like it was undue pressure was put on that episode from the fact mm. that they deferred it from episode one. It's like, come please give us Pike in number one, right? And I, I don't know. It was a, I find it a peculiar choice how they opened this season. And I think yeah. looking back, I'm not saying those are the two weakest episodes of the season, but it's they're pretty close in my book to being the two weakest episodes of the season. Maybe, maybe it's because like courtroom scenes in any kind of show are catnip for me, but I really liked it. Um, I, I agree, though. The placement the placement was weird and it, it felt strange. I but I would have flipped them. I, I just yeah. really, really liked the the anytime you win with a freaking loophole from a real book, yeah. like, I'm just 100% <laughs> on board. And on top of that, you actually get to see more about number one and her backstory and this like romance with her and, and her old friend. And uh-huh. it's just, I mean, it was, the, the, all of that worked for me really, really well. I think I was just still kind of like, but, but where's strange new worlds? Where's the enterprise? Where's, yeah. where's everybody together on the ship? It's a tough line to walk too, because it's 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 canon that augmented genetics are not allowed in the Federation, and it's a problem, right? Because we're rooting for the Federation and the people, and yet there's this law that is canonically on the books that is clearly racist, essentially. And I appreciate that Strange New Worlds leaned into it, right? I think that's kind of cool. They're like, no, no, number one is, an. they introduced the Illyrians last season, like number one is one, and this is going to be an issue. And like, I appreciate all of that, but it's still really uneasy. And the way it's resolved, although absolutely fun, I'm unclear whether the order there is sort of like, can you print out and bind various paper books because I need them for my shtick in the courtroom, but I don't care. It was hilarious, right? It, that that was a really yep. good bit, but I I don't know. There there is something about it that is is like uh, you know I don't I don't necessarily like Starfleet's. You're calling out a flaw in the canon that's really uneasy. Makes me uneasy, and by having them win it by sort of like all right, well, just this once. Uh, I mean, it's a victory of mm-hmm. a sort, but it also is all they are allowed to do in the canon. And it doesn't make me feel good about Starfleet or the Federation when all is done. I don't know. Yeah, I, well, I would say I'm I'm okay with that because I but but you know they, obviously they built themselves this trap that they didn't need to do. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, that that's all under of their own making. Um, and I like courtroom things like Erica, so I wouldn't say this is like great but i i enjoyed the episode um and had wanted this to basically be the way we had started it off um yeah but it it does uh unfortunately drag a little because everything is inside that courtroom and we don't have like a uh, a plot that is uh shall we say 
um, more visually interesting going on elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, We just have Lon's conflicted feelings on the ship uh, where she's walking around existing sets and talking to a couple of people. But it doesn't um, make the episode feel big or urgent in a way um, because we're going through a very slow courtroom process. Um, So there's not another element to kind of like help balance it out. You weren't riveted watching everybody watch it on TV. Oh, <laughs> that was hilarious. That is, that is a classic Star Trek move, though, yep. right? Yes. Like, yeah. How sure. many episodes yeah. involve characters watching other characters on TV, but still not that exciting? <laughs> no one brought the popcorn. Also, no one really questions that Pike's girlfriend gets to be the prosecutor. Yeah, yeah, yeah like okay, that sure. is. I, I really it, but we don't have anybody the lawyers. <laughs> they're, try, they're trying to do a they're trying to do a Riker has to prosecute data thing there. But That's the what I felt is, like. Yeah, problem is, but tell it's like, well, we can't do it. Like you're you're basically in the middle of Starfleet here. Like why why are you ever random captain? And I had that moment. Where I'm like, oh, I didn't realize she's like a a, a lawyer captain, but she's not. She's she's, yeah, she's not right. just just a captain. She's just right? a captain mm-hmm. who's around. And I, I, my head in there, and Erica backed me up on this is that jerk Vulcan knows yeah. that yeah. it's going to be a problem <laughs> oh, for yeah. her and Pike. Oh, yeah. And so he's like, yeah, you're going to do it because I hate all of you. Freaking <laughs> like, right. Vulcans, man. The mm-hmm. jerk advocate general, I guess, is what the J stands for. I mean, he was a great jerk, by the way. He was, he was oh, a good yeah. Yeah. man, solid jerk. Yeah, yeah. And Scott so, and I uh, talk Vulcans. on Vulcan Hello a lot about how Vulcans are jerks, and that guy was yeah. like, he he really leaned into it. It was amazing. First mm-hmm. class jerk. Yeah, and that scene with him and Spock. Well, the scene with uh, Ortegas mm-hmm. and Mbenga watching them talk mm-hmm. was like a fun little twist. And I'm sorry, I you also... had to see that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I like the bit with with Pike going to the Illyrian planet to get the lawyer and like his his strategy for getting an appointment is like that's fine I'll die here yeah. in your <laughs> way you'll have room. to clean it up <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of masks in this uh, season you Funny. know that are, that are, make it kind of mm. interesting they they also make a point about like all the um you know oh Una's lucky because she can pass for a human right right but they never demonstrate the alter like show anybody who can't which i thought loses a little bit of its punch um because mm. like the the lawyer keeps making that point and it's like i oh you i took also- that as pass for human like with medical tests and stuff like that like yeah yeah, yeah. but it mu- felt like they were making a point right yeah. they, if you were like we're taking on space racism and it's like Sure. Okay. That is a whole concept that you can get into. But then it felt like we are kind of worried about taking that to the logical demonstration because maybe we're like, they kind of pulled their punch is my feeling. Um, And it it fell a little flat in that way. I liked the episode in general. um, But yeah, I do think that they, in some ways, they didn't quite follow it through to its like logical conclusion in terms of how that would have played out for me. Although at the same time, you don't really want the episode to end with like, well, all these aliens look alien, but the one who doesn't look alien is fine. We'll, we'll sure. let her yeah, into I the think, club. Right? Again, that doesn't work they, either. They wrote themselves into they it. Did. Yes. They did. Yeah. They mm-hmm. wanted to do I, last uh, season. They wanted to do this story. And here we are. Right. Yeah. I still look forward to Star Trek Law this fall. On <laughs> That's right. <laughs> would watch. I will be there. I will make the popcorn. My wife has said for years she would watch Star Trek Jag. She would be all oh, over yeah. that. So, yeah. There you space go. Law. Got to see it. Space yep. Law. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, moving on to episode three. We're just going to walk through these because there's only ten. I mean, geez. Um, <laughs> tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, um, quoting a different part of a Shakespeare soliloquy that has already been used <laughs> in a Star Trek episode title. Um, this is the episode in which um, a guy who's been shot with a gun appears in a corridor, hands a gadget to Lon, and says, uh, you got to go back in time. Where does she go back to? It's Toronto, Toronto. <laughs> 2020s Toronto, because apparently they wrote this for New York and then they, they couldn't shoot in New York. And they said, you know what? Let's just call it what it is, which is Toronto, because that's where they shoot the show. Uh, and, and so they go, although there's a mysterious bridge that doesn't make sense and doesn't really go in the right place it would go. But look, it's Star Trek, whatever. <laughs> and And she's there with an alternate version, a, a new second alternate version of James T. Kirk. Haven't met the original yet until the very end of this episode. And uh, this is this is the episode that flips. It's like City on the Edge of Forever City and Space forever. Seed yeah. together. Uh, where in the end, what, what she realizes is they must save, Kirk must die to save Khan so that the timeline isn't ruined, which is bananas and... Uh, and they have like their romance and they have to navigate 21st century America or Canada, North America. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, well, it was New York. And there are parts of it that are very suspiciously like hey, hastily rewritten. And Vermont. Well, again, there are parts <laughs> yeah, of the script that are like they can cross hey, the hastily rewritten yeah. in order to make it New York instead of Toronto. Or, you know, they, they like flipped it around. There's one line about like, oh, we bribed that guard or whatever. It's like, yeah, okay. Maybe you shouldn't have said Vermont. Maybe you should have put her in. In uh, Montreal, yeah. rural, yeah, rural <laughs> Canada. I don't know. Some yeah, know. suburban yeah. Letterkenny. Put her yeah, in Letterkenny. Canada is literally almost entirely rural. Like, yeah. There's lots of places. Yeah, yeah, there's lots and lots. Anyway, so they have to navigate. Like, we need money. We gotta, we gotta buy some really weird, gross hot dogs and Ugh. fall in love. Oh. Uh, I apologize on behalf of all of Canada. I apologize for the those old Canadian hot, hot dog, dogs. a tofu dog, and a giant whole wheat bun. <laughs> Do not look that up on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> I have had so many delicious, regular, normal hot dogs since I moved to Canada. I assure you, that is not a normal thing here. No, it, it, it was so distracting watching the episode. I get very easily distracted by the business that they give characters to do while they're mm -hmm. talking. And it's just like, I know I'm supposed to be paying attention to what he's saying to Lon and what Lon is saying to him. And yet I'm just staring at yep. this hot dog With that no has condiments on, on it. it. <laughs> And a whole wheat bun? Oh, what? God, it's so gross. I'm okay, I'm okay with that. But, yeah. uh, I'm not. <laughs> no comments. I, I, I think this is a really solid episode. I mean, like, I enjoy Star Trek time travel episodes. And uh, the, what, what, every, everything Erica was just saying about law episodes, but the time travel episodes, <laughs> I'm here for it. Uh, <laughs> I think this is fun. I honestly, Paul Wesley really grew on me after this episode. I think his performance at the end of last season was fine, but it's tricky because, you know, I... 
Shatner's character is iconic, and I think you you struggle with how do you deal with that. I think Chris Pine kind of managed to put his own spin on things, but he was at times veering into maybe like bringing up some Shatner man- mannerisms. Um, but I think Paul Wesley has gone in a very different direction, which is let's capture sort of the spirit of this character without doing a William Shatner impersonation. Mm-hmm. And I think this episode, it works for me. He is charming. He is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a gigantic jerk like you always feel like Kirk is at times, <laughs> um, especially when his relationships with women, right? Like he actually feels fairly respectful and, um, you know, not terribly womanizing in this episode. Um, but I just think it's a fun dynamic. Those two characters and those two actors do real well with each other. I love the Pelia. Uh, like having her show up and not know anything about engineering because mm-hmm. she hasn't gotten there yet is, is wonderful. It's a great performance from Carol Kane. Like, is that a bootstrap paradox? Yeah, it is. Or... Uh, yeah. yeah, I think it is. Yeah. She's like, hey, I should engineering. That's a great idea. Okay, all but right, fine. hilarious. Uh, the only thing I would knock on this episode is that like the one person they meet is of course the bad guy, right? Yeah. Like, which I sounded very obvious to me as like they showed up and there's like the one photographer or whatever, and like let's recruit that person is like. Yeah, that's that's going to be the bad guy. But still, overall, <laughs> I actually thought this was great. I think the only my only nitpick in this episode was like there's like, oh, here's the uh, genetically engineered super soldier child and we saved them. And let me just leave a loaded gun sitting yeah. on his desk next to a small child. <laughs> Goodbye. The security people are on, running down the hallway. I, They're sorry. Gonna... As a new father that yeah. still was like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're a security officer. Yeah. <laughs> They got to get out. I of didn't there. think they I gotta, was gonna take it with you. <laughs> Just gotta go back in time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I was gonna love the episode. I think because it was you know Kirk heavy, and I was still not completely sold on uh, on this this version of Kirk. And by the end, I had completely bought into mm. everything except the hot dog. yeah i think he does a good job there there are moments actually in his performance where i feel like if he's channeling anybody he's channeling chris pine a little bit more which is like so you got that like second derivative kirk which maybe is maybe that's good right far enough the idea the argument has always been uh like these are consider them like shakespeare characters right people should be able to interpret them and we shouldn't think of them as being a single actor and i feel like he does a good job of being in the ballpark of captain kirk without it being a lieutenant or alternate captain kirk here i guess right like but in the ballpark and and, and he is charming i would i I, one thing i want to say because you mentioned it dan um i think people's interpretation of kirk is not actually necessarily what's in the actual text of the original series in the original series he he does have sex with some beautiful women at at various points but he also falls in love and is and with tragic consequences kind of a lot and 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 it's heartbroken huge long uh whatever it was yeah so i think kirk i think kirk Kirk gets a little bad rap and watching this episode i thought this is a good take on kirk which is he is charming and has romantic attachments but you know he also is prone to uh, making these bonds and actually having feelings and not just being a a, a sheer womanizer, but actually forming this was also bonds. the episode where I called the one joke that was happening, which is the joke where he wins, uh, beats everybody at chess in the park. And I was like, this is going to have a three dimensional chess joke at the end, right? And they did not disappoint. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I I mean, I I still am not used to this Kirk either and i i would like him there's something about the way he looks that his i find distracting like he's too lanky and i don't know a little bit he's tall i I feel like kirk should be a little stockier or something i mean like whatever but um 
yeah, I, I, I enjoyed him. This is, as Erica said, like this is an episode that made me like, oh, okay. Yeah, he could be Kirk. I'm sorry he can't be Lan's boyfriend because yeah. he mm-hmm. was he was good in this alternate timeline and uh yeah then he died i thought that was a that was a great moment right it's like oh my god they killed captain kirk oh my god anybody (laughs) believe that was gonna happen yeah no i mean i thought they were gonna kill him because he was alternate reality yeah he wasn't gonna go back and hang out with anybody anyways he'd be disintegrated into the ether or something i I did not think the bad guy would just show up and gun him down right i thought that would be a (laughs) sacrifice i mean it sort of is a noble sacrifice sacrifice, but like it's it's uh it's not it's I was surprised at his method of dispatch. I'll I guess I'll just put it that way. I was. Yeah, it was I very it's Sylvester we... McCoy in the Doctor Who TV movie is what it was. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We 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 expect like Kirk to you know bluff and then no one to call his bluff. Uh, so I think that probably is the reason why it's surprising because <laughs> yep. it's like oh you're not actually going to shoot me and set off these alarms and then well sh- shoots him and set off the alarms. <laughs> yep. So yeah. And, and yep. the fact she says like oh, you know it was probably not my smartest move but it was worth it. <laughs> like <laughs> shot James yeah. T Kirk. Yeah. And it's like and, and Laon ends up. Um, in the city on the edge of forever position at the end, which is mm-hmm. she has formed a she is a person who does not form attachments easily. She has formed a deep attachment in a very short amount of time with this guy. She's really fallen for him and he dies horribly. And then she is swept back to her timeline and told, yeah, don't talk about this with anybody, oh, um, which I could I could argue like, well, if it's a parallel and it got wiped out and like doesn't matter anymore but anyway it it allows her to be tormented for the rest of the season which while i feel bad for the character is pretty good character stuff to have her be so uh messed up by this uh this tragic thing that's happened to her and i remember when the show was first coming out one of the things they kept saying is you know captain kirk loses edith keeler and the next week everything is fine and we're not going to do that on that show and it was like turns out literally they were not going to do that because that's what they do to lon <laughs> in this episode delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs a gripping murder mystery starring academy award winner russell crowe now available on digital Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. The next episode is a a, stand, a real standalone episode where uh they making reference to single like scenes in the cage right. <laughs> the original pilot <laughs> they uh go back to Rigel 7 and um and have a mission where basically radiation causes Pike, Lon, and Mbenga to lose their memory and not know who they are. And there, there is uh, his old, Pike's old yeoman, who he thought was dead, is actually sort of like the ruler of this crappy planet with all these warriors on it. And there is a, it is a very Star Trekky kind of thing about like, who are you when you don't know who you are? And are you going to represent yourself, your true self and all of that? And uh, and then meanwhile, on the on the ship, everybody uh, Spock is like, oh, we're losing our memories. Quick, go over to those asteroids. Oh, no, the asteroids are where the memory (laughs) radiation is. Mm -hmm. And that leads to Ortega's having her great moment where she says, I am Erica Ortega's. I I mean, that's the best part of the entire episode. Obviously, 
That was the best part. I couldn't stop saying that after the, it was walking around doing the dishes. I fly the ship. I fly the ship. I it do was, the it's dishes. delightful. I don't see a lot of characters with my name on television. Unfortunately, I watch with subtitles and she's, her name is spelled with a C. So it never actually oh. felt quite like my own name. Um, but it was still it was still fun to see. And that genuinely was my favorite part of the story was her journey to sort of remember mm. herself and, and figure stuff out. And how like I think she just did a fantastic job. Um I had real trouble with the planet because, and this is kind of another Star Trek thing, I thought about it too much. How did this society evolve if they can't remember anything from day to day? And I could not get past that. So I didn't enjoy the stuff that happened down on the planet nearly as much as I wanted to. I kept like putting it aside and being like, yeah, this is fun in the moment. And then two moments later, I was thinking about it again. Like, really, there's a there's a carved post in the middle of a building that tells them that like, and then... The, the most infuriating thing was that there's this um, legend of a box that has their memories in it. How do you pass along a legend if you forget everything? Like, that's... You carve it on it a post. Make any sense. You carve uh, it on a totem. But the, I don't know. But they yes. can't read on the ship, but for some reason the old man can read the totem. I, it doesn't... I don't know. I'm with Erica. Like, I, yeah. I if you think about this planet too much, it is annoying. And, and they also... Mm-hmm. They, they unfortunately, uh, I have no problem with the virtual set or any of that. I thought that was a great use of it. It feels, you know, it's much better than like a backdrop, uh, you know, psych on inside of the soundstage. But uh, the problem I had is that because of, I'm assuming, COVID restrictions and budget, they always feel like they have 20 people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it never feels like there is a planet of people. Mm-hmm. It never feels like this castle is full of anybody. And they, I didn't even recognize the Rigel 7 planet because because uh, uh, there's a very, very famous map painting um, from the end credits and all of that where mm-hmm. you've seen a bunch of times and it looks nothing like that and they yeah. put an enormous tower in there and it's just like who is in that castle who built this castle because there's 20 people here uh so i, I don't know it's just that <laughs> i think the idea is that me. the meteor impact or whatever it was basically destroyed the society here and this is mm-hmm. these are the pieces that are left and these mm-hmm. castles are like the only refuges that there are i i can sort of backfill although they they it is a strange choice not to just say ah oh, there it is our modern version of that matte painting and they're like nah we're not gonna do this like guys why why is this rigel seven if you're not gonna do the matte painting like that's the only thing that's the only reason to do this at all i I admit it, the stuff on the planet doesn't make a lot of sense. If you think about it a lot, it feels very Star Trek to me though, where they're like, look people, it's the parable. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like we just want to erase our memory so that they have, and yeah, it doesn't necessarily hold, maybe it's more season three TOS, but it, you know, <laughs> it okay. All right. I'll go with it. I'll go with it. But yeah, I thought the most fun stuff was on the ship the stuff on the planet is meant to be like who are we when we don't know who we are and will pike make a bad decision or a good decision and what does that tell us about pike and after not a lot of pike and the other episodes of this season it was nice to have uh, an episode where pike struggles with that but yeah ortega steals the show i think mm-hmm. i think they, i did enjoy the idea of like the you know the star the officer starfleet officer who gets left behind and then becomes the mm-hmm. uh, head of the society yep. or very influential however i think that plot was done better on a star trek prodigy episode <laughs> yep. yeah yeah it's been done in many true. voyager they had well they had those ferengi mm-hmm. that uh landed and took over a planet and that whatever but yeah. I, I do i i also loved ortega's like just in the opening with the like dressing up with the 
the native costume. Oh, the hats. And the hat, yeah. no, the hat makes it. The hat is. Oh, like and a, that is such a setup for episode 10, right? Where, where yes. like, she just wants to go down on the yeah, away mission. Like, Why was I asking for this? And I remember the week before the finale, Scott and I were listing all the kind of like open questions for this season. I was like, well, the Gorn and. And then, and then we said, also, will Ortegas get to wear a hat? And the answer is no, not a hat, but did get, go down on a planet without a hat. So good mm-hmm. enough, close enough. And that's set up here. Yeah, it, it, what was weird is in the trailer for the season that they had released, uh, they show that shuttle dropping yes. scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, the whole the whole season, I was just like, when are they going to do the shuttle dropping? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was surprised they because they rarely, in trailers, they rarely use stuff from that late in the season. Like, it's mm-hmm. usually stuff from the first couple episodes because they don't want to spoil things. And I was very surprised because I thought that was going to happen in this episode. And it did not. It did not. Um, episode five is the sequel to the wacky Spock episode from <laughs> season one. In this one, um, a race of aliens that seems to have burrowed out of our universe and maybe they became beings of pure energy. Who knows? But they left behind <laughs> a uh, voice-activated uh, customer service line uh, <laughs> that if they happen to break your shuttlecraft, they will uh, provide uh, compensation and uh, fix the damage that they've caused. This is what happens. Spock and Chapel get in a <laughs> shuttle accident. Spock is fixed. They realize that Spock seems all, his genetics seem all mixed up. So they fix him by making him human. As, of course, there is supposed to be a an engagement dinner with T'Pring and her family. And therefore we get shenanigans with human Spock and trying to pretend to be a Vulcan and mm-hmm. uh, to Pring and Spock's mom comes by. We haven't seen her since Discovery, I believe. And uh, lots of nonsense. And uh, and meanwhile, Chapel is trying to, you know, wait on hold and check in with customer service <laughs> and see if she can get this Spock replaced with the right one, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, it all it all works out in the end, except for the fact that uh, Spock and to Pring are on a break and uh, Chapel and Spock kiss. And that's the end of the episode. This also, is charades. Most also, importantly. also the, the, uh, is this what you were going to say? Also, Anson Mount gets to be yes. comedy Pike <laughs> in several moments where all he does is try to bring food to people and then be yes. like, so nope, good. nope, nope, not going to bring food now. Great, great so deployment good. of Anson Mount's comic timing and expressions. And I love, actually love to bring's dad who keeps being like, oh, that <laughs> looks good. I just and like, no, we're not which. eating this. <laughs> yep. that's, he's which. the polar opposite of of your jerk advocate general from yeah. earlier in the season right. who's like the right. Vulcan who's just like funny. I just like to eat yeah I just want this is supposed to be a dinner people I just want a snack <laughs> also the polar opposite of his wife and she is yes. wonderful I, yeah. I, I love her so much uh, a Vulcan should have a more resilient bladder it's just like amazing line um, uh-huh. I, I thought that that was all good I, I love Spock Amok and I love this episode I love when they go wacky on the show mm-hmm. I think that they do the wacky stuff really well um, they always look like they're having so much fun with it uh, so I, I like it I know that people think that Star Trek should be uh, very very serious and stuff but the CTOS it is not, not. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I love I love this episode Yeah, I love when they do their uh, they uh, try to teach him how to speak like a Vulcan. Oh man, well, do I do that? Like a, yes. Just, you do that. That's <laughs> what it sound like. Yep. <laughs> Check out yep. my eyebrow. Watch how it moves, and nothing else on my face moves. <laughs> <laughs> she did that really well too. She did. Yep. She really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ethan Peck does a great job here too, as well for playing the straight man, basically. Like, 
you know, as many comedians have said, it's a harder often than playing the, uh, you know, the non-straight man in this case. But I think he does a really good job of managing to uh, be so, <laughs> like, yeah, having inha- inhabited Spock so much that he can figure out where the, like, the differences and the lines are between a Spock that is human and a Spock that is half And how do you play Vulcan. human Spock pretending to be? Pretending to be Vulcan. Vulcan oh Spock. The layers. There's like lots of layers in there. Human right? Ethan Peck playing yeah. human Spock, pretending to be Vulcan Spock. Yeah. Oh my God. An extra yeah. I mean, I, acting layer. I have a tendency to struggle with the shenanigans and nonsense episodes. And I recognize that they are just as every bit as Star Trek y as the rest of it. Um, but that's not my happy place in terms of, of, of watching just television in general, usually. I'm not a big comedy fan. But I think everybody did such a stellar job with their parts that I ended up being fine with it. And I actually ended up I I was kind of uncomfortable with the idea. Oh, my God. Like, I tried to not be saddled with the canon because that's silly, but I can't help it because I am a nerd. So sometimes you get I get moments where I'm like, what? They made Spock human. They can't do that. He's. He's a Vulcan. He's that is half that is half human. Anyway, I had like that that little nerd moment where I was just like, what did they just do? But they did it so well. And they actually did it, I think, in a way that made it entirely comfortable for me. The idea that the Spock that I knew from before had gone through all of these experiences this uh, before he became the Spock that I eventually knew later. It it and honestly, it feels of a piece. It fits. I don't I don't feel like any of the stuff that they have done with his character, at least so far, feels out of place in terms of the history of the character that I later come to know. So I ended up liking this episode a lot more than I thought I was going to when it started. Uh, like that that scene when uh, Ethan Peck is sitting in the uh, sitting in the sick bay and like he tries to like he smiles. And I was just like, whoa, that's that's wrong. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> but then but then as it went on, I really I really enjoyed it. And I think the only thing that ended up making me like it less in retrospect was there's like this beautiful lesson at the end of this this episode. Like you say that a human mm-hmm. couldn't have performed the surgery, this uh, the ceremony. Well, guess what? One just did. Basically telling us humans can do, you know, almost whatever we put our minds to. And then for some reason in the last episode, only a Vulcan could do this, which like I recognize <laughs> that was Spock spewing some serious BS because he just wanted he just to go. Wanted to but do it. he had But if it was any other character, I would have been like, fine. But you're no, you're the one that just taught everybody else this lesson. So I was a little angry. So, that, but the episode ooh. itself, good. The important thing about having his mom in this episode too, and I think this is a thing that um, Discovery touched on and this episode touches on, which is really good, which is who do you think, you think Spock had it bad, bullet, being bullied and all that, but like Amanda being so isolated mm. yeah. and and I by love, I... by awful jerk Vulcans, right? And <laughs> like so to have, <laughs> have her here with her son and then, and so that's all great, great because it's like he at least he's half Vulcan. Um, she's just a human on Vulcan, and that's brutal. But I also really like that they make the point with Chapel's uh, part of the story that, um, you know, this doesn't fix fix Spock, right? Like the Spock that we all love is the one who is half human and half Vulcan and struggles with that, and that's the one we need to get back. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that is a, a, a really nice aspect of the story. Also, and I, maybe you picked this up from when I summarized this episode. I love 
blue and yellow the super weird <laughs> like yep. the alien sorry space um aliens <laughs> who've turned into energy and have left this universe can't come to the phone right now but we have a whole like bureaucratic system and you waited too long and all that like i just think that that is such a fun way of dealing with of getting to your premise of spock turning human where it's like it's advanced aliens they didn't know what they were doing like it works for me and and it's actually kind of like a fun little seasoning on top of all of this that they have to struggle with these stupid artificial intelligences essentially to get spock back it's uh and the fact that they have no idea how to navigate that system i was like oh if you had somebody from the 20 20th 21st century there oh, yeah. that you just, would have been done with this episode see, real fast just, just talk to an operator okay just press zero Actually, i believe if you swear enough they will eventually yeah. connect you yeah that's exactly right um, i don't know if you want to be connected to the operator in this case because who knows what that is that's terrifying uh but yeah it's this, um, this is a fun episode for sure yeah i, I always love uh having a vulcan um transformed into something he's not normally like tuvok on voyager when they to um to you know and i know i'm not we're not talking about that but no. we um but i do love that idea that like oh gosh he's like fun now or mm. and he's like a, he's easier to get along with and he understands us better but we still have to have the the old guy back because yep. that's our crew member and and with that's our vulcan just reminding people, Vulcans are jerks. Um, and then when they're not Vulcans, then they're nicer, I guess. Uh, okay. Episode six is the Uhura episode where Uhura starts having um, uh, hallucinations. And uh, it turns out that there is, a, again, a very Star trek plot where this refinery is actually like eating aliens and her hallucinations are them trying to communicate with her. And in the end, they, they take this whole refinery that's been set up by, by Starfleet and the Federation at great expense and they blow it up. Hooray. Everything is solved. <laughs> uh, and, and, and Kirk is around cause he, he, he's around. We get to see real, real Kirk here briefly too. Um, that's, that's this episode, which I found uh fine, Right. Like it, it felt like yeah. a, a fairly average Star Trek episode to me. I like the Uhura bits in it. Um, it, it, it sort of felt, I don't know, felt kind of obvious that this is where it was going. Like, oh, there going to be aliens, yeah. right? And you're going to be k- mm-hmm. killing them by accident because that's what happens in Star Trek. And it was, it, it was very Star Trek, but in a way that was also not particularly surprising, I thought. But good, good, uh, Uhura stuff. Like, good to give yeah. Uhura her moment in the sun and we get to see Hammer again as a zombie yeah. and then it's not a zombie. And that's fun too, right? See him again. And then yeah. now they can never go above warp five ever again. That's, except for the next episode. Except in the next episode. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, right. they just there are other places where it's not infested with aliens. Yeah, yeah. I, I do not really understand how blowing up the thing that had the aliens in it does does not kill them. Freeze but, them. Like, it's not, <laughs> they're in a different dimension or something. A, a different dimension that gets sucked up into a space vacuum. But it, it's it's fine. I I. I the mechanics of this are very uh distilled from other star trek episodes yeah. like eye of the beholder and uh yeah. what is the other one night terrors um yep. and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and it's just like i i know where you're going with all this stuff um i did think that the directing of it to give us that unsettling feeling for her of her hallucinations i thought that was done yeah. well yeah it's a um, horror, so, horror genre episode they're trying to do here and they yeah. I, I thought they did a pretty good job of it 
Yeah. And so I, I, I don't, I don't love the episode, but it, it worked. And, um, I really loved the stuff with Una and, uh, uh, Carol Kane, um, where they're going yeah. back and forth about why they don't <laughs> like each other. Um, and it worked really well. I thought that that was that was a good use of the two of them together in a scene um, where they otherwise are, have not been combined previously in the episode so far. We also get Kirk and Sam interacting. Yes, which mm. I think is fun. Mm. Like, so good. it's a different dynamic. And, you know, I think this is another good, a, a good utilization of Paul Wesley. Um, plus, they get to hang out, you know, with Uhura. And you get Uhura introducing Kirk to Spock later on. So that's, like real TOS part. vibes, right? Yep. <laughs> like I think that's all of that is fun. And I, I agree with Joe. I think the staging of the horror stuff works well. It's effectively creepy. It was unsettling to see Hemmer back as a zombie. Yeah. Like, that is that is a good jump scare like moment. Not even just jump scare, but like like a terrifying moment of like this character who we we really enjoyed and loved and all of a sudden is is back as a monster right like that is uh it's very effective Harsh. so yeah i agree this is a solid solid not amazing but solid episode i think this episode is a perfect example of why i love strange new world so much the 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 a plot so to speak is fine like as everybody keeps saying it was it was fine it was very star trekky but and, and and as I was just generally thinking of the episode, I was like, all right, yeah, that's that one. That's fine. But then as you were each talking about all of those specific scenes and the character development, I think that Strange New Worlds has very much knocked it out of the park in terms of what they set out to do to give you episodic television where you could say, oh, this is the one where Uhura was having hallucinations because of, you know, aliens from another dimension, except Everybody is having character development and the character development, those scenes between each of the characters that are moving forward, their relationships and their personalities and all that kind of stuff. That's the stuff that I'm actually way more excited about in any Star Trek than the monster of the week that that happens to be going on at the same time. So so, yeah, I think that this episode is very emblematic of why I love this show so much, because even when the 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 big bad of the week is just fine. I, there are things in the episode that I absolutely adore because it's about the people. I think this is, to that point, I think this is shows why this show threads the needle and, and something that I think comes up a lot when people talk about like, oh, Star Trek shows with like overarching season plots or whatever and how that's sometimes bogging things down because every week feels like a chapter of this overall story. But I think this show proves very well um, you can kind of avoid the, you don't have to have the um, week to week amnesia that so many of the 90s Star Trek shows deal with, right? Yeah. Where it's like, okay, mm -hmm. we've got 26 episodes. Who cares what happened last week? This has to slot in somewhere. It doesn't matter. We can't have too much continuity because these shows might need to be rearranged at some point um, with the idea of having stuff that is feels very, as, I, as Erica said, identifiable to each episode. And they really, I agree, Strange New Worlds has really nailed that aspect of it, of being able to say, this is an episodic show, but we have overarching story, you know, character beats and character relationships that progress and develop. And I think that's honestly, like, that's what I want from almost any show. It's like, I don't need to be serialized in the sense of every week being a chapter of last week, but I do want the characters to grow and experience different things and have dynamics that change along the way. One of the things about this episode um, that is uh, only a tangent of it, but it is the fact that since we're talking about Strange New Worlds, it is a prequel to TOS. And so mm. one of the things that they've decided to do, and I, I, I like it, 
Um, there are two ways you could go. You could either say, well, no, Pike had his crew and all of that. And when their mission was over, they all left. <laughs> they, they dusted, <laughs> they cleaned, then they left it. And then they, and they left like a, you know, an envelope in the drawer in the ready room saying, okay, here's your ship. Um, or you say, well, no, people come and go crews change and grow over time. And the P eventually by the end of, of Pike's time, Kirk's enterprise is starting to form. And so in this episode, you get some of those pieces. You get Kirk uh, with his brother and you get Kirk meeting Spock and Uhura mm. being on this show is a, a pointing in that direction. And Mbenga is a character that we see on the Enterprise later. So there are, it, 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 I, I like, and this happens in episode 10, which we'll get to, but like, I like the idea that we are it, plenty of ramp here, plenty of, of runway for strange new worlds to exist and be great. But like, never forget that also what's happening is the enterprise is slowly moving forward toward um, the moment that is the original series and that these characters are, some of them will leave, others will come, but in the end, you're going to see a lot of familiar characters and I'm okay with that. It doesn't feel like a stunt to me. It feels like this is where the story is inevitably going. One of the stories of Strange New Worlds is leading to Kirk's Enterprise and that that's okay. And we get a bunch of that in this episode, which is interesting. So, um, okay. Episode seven is the, the the one where the <laughs> animated characters come into the Strange New World universe. Boimler. And Joe gave me homework. And Mariner. I did it. <laughs> and, and Lower Decks meets uh, I mean, Strange New Worlds. A plus. Do we have to say anything else? Let's move on. <laughs> no, I, I, mean, watched, I watched the entirety of Lower Decks in, I think, two days. Uh, to, <laughs> so I could watch this episode. Dang, you told Erica. me to, Joe. This is your fault. <laughs> I, I said you didn't need to watch all of it. I just I know. watched the first episode. <laughs> I know, but I, I <laughs> but felt like you, start, you were going to give me a side eye if I didn't actually do all of it. And oh. no, it was really good. So I was very glad that I had done that. But it, uh, you're right. It wasn't required. I was waiting for, I mean, I was like waiting for this ever since the, it was announced that it was going to happen. And, um, I think the only thing that uh, that I found mo the most disappointing, which is really nothing, is that I just thought Boimler's hair should have been more purple. So it should have really popped this <laughs> purple. You're and not red wrong. is like dark blue black, and and in lower decks, there's no mistaking that the guy has purple hair. Mm. Um, but otherwise, every and every other um, uh, expectation that I had uh, was met. Um, I, I mean, and and exceeded, which is, and my my um, expectations were pretty high. But I, I would say, especially Tawny Newsom. I mean, I mm. I've seen her before. You know, do it. She she hosted Star Trek Day once, and she's she's fantastic. But I was really impressed how she pulled the the Mariner energy into a, a live action character because Mariner just feels like a cartoon to me yeah. like a, and now yeah. she's so In real yeah. well Jack Quaid too I mean yeah how, how weird is it that you create a performance as a voice actor and then you have to inhabit them in live action and you have that moment where you realize you need to go watch the animated show and see how the animators have done the physical <laughs> acting for your character so that yeah. you can do the same, you know, some version of the same physical acting, which you didn't do because you were just the voice actor. Like he does, there's, there's Boimler stuff. Like it's recognizably oh Boimler. Right. I think I was, I, I was more uh, expect, you know, expected him to really pull it off. Cause 
you know, he has this character on The Boys where he's like, you know, the nerd guy with all the, the uh, that that he's really good at. So I already kind of knew how he was going to be. But. He knows how to do this kind of character. I, I, we now have to do a shenanigans check-in with Erica because there's a lot of shenanigans in this episode too. How did that go for you? <laughs> I, You know what? I was I was worried because I watched Lower Decks and I enjoyed it. And then I was like, how the F are they going to bring this into Strange New Worlds? And then I thought, well, you know what? Of all of the modern Star Treks, this is the one to bring that energy to because they've already proven that they are are willing to go wacky um, in at least one episode every season, if not more. Uh, so mm-hmm. I was very impressed how they, they, again, threaded the needle between making it too cartoony and making it not cartoony enough to make it worth doing mm-hmm. in the first place. I mean, like, it, I because I had watched all of Lower Decks so fast, like I had literally all of it in my head. So it was very fun that I could pick out so many of the things that I probably wouldn't have noticed if I would have just watched it as it as it dropped. Uh, like by the time Boimler got to do his scream, I was just like, <laughs> I, I was screaming because I was like, yes, they did it. And he did it well. It was so, yeah, I, I ended up just absolutely adoring the episode and uh, again, not expecting to. So once again, this sh- this show has uh, exceeded expectations and made me like something that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. So good on you, I'm, Strange New I'm Worlds. Ever so sad that they did not. We did not even get a brief shot of Rutherford and Tendi in live action. But I'm okay yes. with it. I just I'm I like uh, that having the whole foursome. I think is such a good dynamic that it would have been fun to watch them do it. But you know what? I'm sure there's always they can always go back right. to that well. If <laughs> you Captain, really need to. Captain Pike puts his hand up and he's like, No, 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 no. No, no, no. No more. Don't, no, no. This is <laughs> it's fine. I, if, if Anton Mount doesn't end up doing a voice version of Chris Pike in next season of Lower Decks, I will be very surprised. <laughs> yeah. so, one, uh, so this is uh, from the Strange New Worlds aspect. I, I found it fascinating that what this episode is for our Strange New Worlds people is confronting them with, the, with fans from the future. <laughs> and essentially... <laughs> having that moment where that where they are told you are important like you matter and it's not necessarily oh you'll be famous or whatever in the future but it's like that's essentially what boimler especially and and then also mariner when she shows up uh in a funny moment where they're like oh, we got this solved and then it is no we ruined it uh <laughs> it is this idea that like yeah uhura you i know you're searching for a place but like you will find it like it's not, I'm not going to like spoil your life, but like be confident you will find your place. And, and, and likewise with Spock, it's, it's that sort of like, ah, oh, Spock, we all know Spock. Oh, chapel. I don't know about this relationship with Spock. Right. Like that, that it, it adds that. But like, I, I just like that with, with Uhura and with number one um, and with Spock, you get some of that, like you are going to do great things and it's not, it's time travel, but it's also like just the confidence in you're great believe in yourself you're going to do great things and then with pike what a wonderful way i i continue to love how the show handles rewriting pike's story by having him know his fate uh just as they did on discovery and so to have them see pike and be like he's boimler's like doing the wheelchair thing and they're like you know basically trying to mime what's going to happen to him yeah. he's like <laughs> i know 
<laughs> it's just so great. It's so so I like that from a Strange New Worlds character aspect. It's obviously when they talked about writing this episode, they're like, what do our characters get out of it? And I think that that's one of the things that's really in a wacky, fun episode is this idea that people from the future are coming and what they're really saying to them is, you know, be confident. You got this. You're great. Um, you're going to do yeah. great. And we can't tell you much more than that. But trust me, you're going to be great. I love it. And I like the Enterprise uh, nod to Enterprise that the Strange New World characters exactly. are fans of the Enterprise crew. Be- I yes. mean, of, of the Archer crew. Yeah, they sound, um, because- we sound just like them, right? Is uh, yeah, what a great right. moment. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, Mayweather. Yeah, Mayweather. He was great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, we got the it. Deep, I mean, deep it really guts. felt like I was being uh, not lectured to, but just talked to because, you know, yeah, we are fans of these shows and all the characters exactly. on these shows are fans of the previous, previous ones. And shows. there was a, yeah, there was, there was a, a, a moment where uh, I, I think it was Boimler saying something that basically felt like the show talking to me and being like, you're too hung up on canon. You need to relax about this. And I was just like, yep, lecture me show. I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. Just, I just remember the bit about the flippy parts of the com being the best yeah. part. And I was like, oh, so good. It's true. Oh, yeah. I want one of those. Yeah. You know, the one yeah, thing I... that they didn't cover in here that I know there's not, there's not enough time that I would have loved just because I love the idea of like the people from the future judging the people and promoting the people from the past is that they didn't like that Spock's sister didn't come up and they're like, Oh yeah, sorry about that. We, we didn't, we know your sister <laughs> died and then having Spock and Pike like exchange a look. Cause that's a thing they got over the future people. Mm. They know, they know <laughs> what happened right. to discovery and the future it's people don't know, which would have been even fun, more in the future. Yeah. <laughs> even further. We got you. We over futured you, but no, alas. I, I feel like we're definitely going to, this is not the last we've seen of time travel, um, but uh, I don't know yeah. if it's the last we've seen of animation and real live action mixing, but I'm really impressed with how they did it, like execution wise. We start off in an animated episode of Lower Decks, basically, yeah. in the cold mm-hmm. open, and mm-hmm. to to make that bold choice rather than trying to pretend like, you know, it's live action you know a live action version of uh the california class ship and all of that and filming that and then having them you know oh, just yeah. pretend like there's no animation that occurs at all right um like to have that and be able to pivot on it as uh part of our storytelling um and part of how we've chosen to show the audience how how this all works and saying that the animated stuff in star trek is just as good as the live action stuff in star trek mm-hmm. i thought was a really bold choice to make um and i had been skeptical about like you know this is difficult to like execute this landing and i thought they did such an amazing job with this episode i think i watched it three times i like this is yes this is my favorite episode of the season i i agree i i think it it is the counter to all the people who are like but wait a second the uniform doesn't look like the uniform did in tos and therefore it can't be the same and the ship doesn't look the same it's like guys they literally took characters from animation and put them in live action right Mm -hmm. like what more can we say about how star trek just looks like it looks in whatever show it's in but joe one thing that i thought was really great in this episode is the design of the portal because they have mm-hmm. to design that portal for animation and for CGI to be used in the live action se- segments and what I like about it is it's recognizable in both and when you first see it when they're about to come through it's just uncanny to me it's just uncanny enough that that you're like is it are they and then the live action um people are seen and you say oh they are but like i love that moment where we essentially cut from animated version of this portal to uh cgi animated version but 
more realistic of this portal. Um, yeah, it's a great episode. It's great. It's kind of hard to believe how great it is. <laughs> Switching tracks. Ah, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> well, indeed. So then after the wacky uh, crossover and before the wacky musical episode, there is the episode <laughs> in which we meet a Klingon general who is a defector. And now he apparently like is a diplomat for the Federation, which is kind of weird. And he is apparently known as a butcher, but not because of all the people he killed, which he totally did order killed on a planet during the war, but because he killed his own staff, which I mean, wow. Right. To say that somebody, well, he killed humans or Federation people. We don't care about that. But then he also killed his own, own staff. Now that is outrageous uh, anyway. And, and this is the payoff for the Mbenga, and Chapel were in the war, and I did not love the present day stuff and the ending. I thought that they kind of did a lot of backtracking mm-hmm. to get the ending they want, and it didn't feel really quite right to me. However, I really did love the flashback stuff, which Dan Dan likened it to Mash a little bit earlier, and it's like, yeah, the that stuff like war and, and dealing with the, you know, a sci-fi war and the personal cost as well as the physical cost on the people who are fighting it. I thought that stuff was really good and not like something we've seen before the main plot. It, I don't know. It felt like it was missing something to me, yeah, but especially on Star Trek where we are showing the utopia, right. And like, it's always yeah. about how perfect everything is. And it's like, guess what? There's people uh, are fundamentally still people and there's going to be conflict and war. And so I didn't mind showing that. I will say this episode feels like a watered down version of duet, which is a top Uh, 10 mm -hmm. deep space nine episode, right? Like literally down to the same thing about how there's a butcher of something Uh basically. Um, Other good things about this episode. Robert wisdom is always great. I always enjoy watching him and I think he does Mm -hmm. a pretty good job Mm -hmm. as doc Ra. Um, and I enjoyed the conflicts of the like the crew who are the veterans who are like, I don't know how I feel about having this guy on board. Like, there's a good yes. episode in here. Star Trek Six I, vibes coming from it. that too, yeah. right? <laughs> like, there's some interesting stuff that they're playing with, and I enjoy it. But I, I really dis. I saw what they're going for for the ending, but I really disliked it. <laughs> Did not like. Uh, having the sort of oh we're gonna leave it a little ambiguous but Mbenga's gonna say like I didn't mean to kill him I just killed him in self defense but I'm and it's not like, sad he's dead <laughs> yeah exactly it's like I don't know how I feel about that especially since we have this whole background of you supposedly being like a badass special operative mm-hmm. right like if you didn't want to kill him you didn't have to kill him like <laughs> that seems to be within your power so I think this episode has a lot of good stuff but it just does not come together quite right this is the episode where I realize how much I'm just kind of tired of Pike cooking all the time. Because <laughs> no, why do you be tired like of Pike really, cooking all the time? It looks delicious. It does look delicious, but at some point I'm like, he's starting to it's starting to become like the water polo of Captain Archer to me. Of like, it's this weird hobby that seems like he. In in this episode, though, where all this tension and war stories and everything is going on, and he's like constantly like his the only thing he does is like say, "Hey, come over, I'm gonna cook this up, and we can all talk," you know. And I'm like, it just felt like he he. I know it was an Mbenga episode, but it felt like, and there was some good Mbenga Pike moments, you know, where. Pike is recognizing that like he really doesn't know the half of it, you know, with Mbenga. But I just felt like Pike 
loses gravitas when he's like fussing over herbs um, when, you know, something major is going on with the crew. So that's all I feel like that's a calculated move on his part. I think that this is one of his diplomatic go to's is the the cooking thing, because, yeah, Yeah. he takes a little bit of gravitas off of himself in order to sort of like bring the room down a little bit and and lower the the level of tension. So I have I have no problem with that part of the episode. I just agree basically with Dan that there is a good episode in here. I wanted I was I wanted to be excited about the uh, the diplomat from the Klingons who has, you know, he's changed or has. Has he and like all that kind of stuff? I, it, it, I, it should have worked for me, but there, there is definitely something missing because I, it just didn't feel like it hung together. I loved all the the stuff from the past, the flashbacks, and yeah, they should have just showed us Mbenga stabbing the guy because it's pretty clear he he did like this. I just, I really feel like there's not really any ambiguity. Like, so, so you put a window in front of it, but it, that doesn't actually change what we basically all know happened. And I'm not even sure how I feel about him doing that at this point in his in his life just you know making him the 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 hardened actual warrior instead of you know do more harm uh uh yeah i didn't i didn't love it not at all yeah i also did not like this episode and i agree there's a good episode in here and i don't think the problem is necessarily for me it wasn't uh the cooking it's that pike throughout the episode is very um unobservant uh, mm-hmm. of yeah. the emotions mm-hmm. of his crew and the uh, what he should be doing as their captain and his his role in all of this in a way that is very out of step with how we've seen Pike presented um, up to this yes. point. So I found that to also be one of the areas that was very underwhelming and especially at the end of the episode where, you know, we had to, you know, we've gotten to this thing where it's the did he kill him or not thing and then it's just like, Pike is basically, you know, kind of shrugging it off. He's like, uh, did you kill the guy or not? You can tell me. And it's just like, wait, wait are, is this how you should be treating the situation? <laughs> some, some HR questions about that one. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I, I didn't I didn't understand mm. like where Pike was coming from in this whole process. Um, and uh, I, I don't think that they really did Mbenga um, justice uh, with this. And I don't think Mbenga did justice. Um, but uh, it just it, it just needed, I don't know, another pass or yeah. something. It just needed mm-hmm. something else to go on here. But yeah, the, the incoming transport stuff, it was all very tense in the flashbacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did not expect Gene to come for cooking Captain Pike, but there we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. All right, let's talk about the musical uh, Subspace Rhapsody in which a subspace phenomenon causes a thingy that makes everybody sing but in a star trek way right subspace fold it makes the improbability field which is shades of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and the idea is look it's a thing that makes everybody sing and we better fix it or everybody's gonna blow up because the klingons hate to sing so much that they will blow everything up if they're forced to sing (laughs) that is the plot of this episode and in it works for me and in it, and the, the, reading all the interviews with the producers and the writers and everybody who was involved, the Buffy musical, clearly a touchstone. The idea here, the beauty of the Buffy musical is all the songs are for the characters are singing about their feelings and they're revealing things that they don't want to share. Um, but they can also use the song to the, the songs to provide unity. And, um, this episode is less of a, a bummer than the Buffy musical because the Buffy musical really does want to kind of tear everybody apart. But still, uh, I love throughout Lon is like 
this is a security risk because we are going to sing about stuff we don't want to sing about. And I'm like, oh boy, she's seen the Buffy musical. She knows what's going on here. You don't want to do that. And so you end up with uh, a whole bunch of songs, which first time through, I thought, oh, those are okay. I watched it again. And I was like, no, actually, these songs are pretty good. And some of them are very good. And, uh, and and I was impressed by that. The only thing that will be my complaint about this episode really is that, and I'm not, I don't like dancing, but like, I felt like there was not enough dancing. I felt like maybe this was one of those cases where <laughs> they have a limited number of characters on a limited number of sets. And like, there's a moment where Chapel gets held up by people in the, in the, the bar restaurant area during her show stopping number. And I expected them mm-hmm. to like move her. And they don't. They just hold her there for a while and then they put her back down. And I'm like, come on, guys. Walk with her, turn her around, something, right? But they're like, no, no, no. She just stays here for a while. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. But um, it's a it's an incredibly fun episode that manages to be super Star Trek-y while also uh, having songs. And uh, I don't know, if somebody wants to come for the singing episode, you could do it now. <laughs> Go ahead. Or just agree, whatever. Klingon Klingon boy band. Oh, there is is K-pop. K-pop. The K is for Klingon. Mm. (laughs) I thought that was fantastic. Oh, that was the moment that as Bruce and that's Bruce Hemmer, Bruce uh, Horak, who is Hemmer. Bruce Hemmer is what we can call him, but Bruce (laughs) Horak, who is Hemmer, and he is the Klingon admiral. Who who, hold on, Jason? Erica's groaning. Erica. I think we need to give her a chance here. <laughs> All right, Erica. No, I just I that was the that was the one more moment where it went just too far for me. And I was oh. just nope. <laughs> I laughed outrageously no, at that, that was scene. Pretty funny. He I actually laughed, hails them and, and goes like oh. he hates it so much. <laughs> they have to sing. Yeah. Yeah. I was it, like I'm not a huge fan of musicals in in general, so I don't have a lot of strong feelings one way or the other. I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to based on my generalized feelings about musicals, and I was very impressed at how they leaned into and away from the strengths and weaknesses of the different actors on the show yeah. and didn't try to force actors to sing when they couldn't. I was also delighted that Ethan Peck has a very lovely singing voice. I would like more of that actually. Um and yeah, uh, a couple of those, uh, a couple of those actresses can really belt it out, and it was yeah. phenomenal. They also followed the Buffy rule, which is some characters don't have to sing very much because those actors yep. clearly are not comfortable with that. And that's uh, Alison Hannigan has, I think, two lines in the entire Buffy mm-hmm. musical because she yeah. didn't want to sing, and it's like that's fine. We have other people who can sing. I mean, you and got Celia Rose Gooding, who is like a Broadway star, right? <laughs> she so, won yes. a Grammy. Like, yeah. She has a Grammy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, her and both her and uh, Christina Chong also, who yeah. is like has and Uhura, an album, yes. I think. Yeah, Uhura is fundamentally a musical character. Right? She sang. She has yes. musical numbers yeah. in the original series again, yep. again. For That's people who are like, true. no, people don't sing in Star Trek. It's like au contraire. Please go back to TOS. <laughs> Uhura and Spock have a jam session, yeah. and uh, Uhura has another song that she does in Charlie X in the first season. Right? Like there is plenty yeah. of singing with Uhura, but yeah, Lan's song, which is basically like defying gravity kind of level it is the you know yeah. the thing i don't want i don't want to express but i have to express which is uh what is a flying blind how would that feel right because she's a control freak and she can't do it uh just uh it's perfect yeah i i like i i really did like the episode obviously i'm a fan of buffy and uh once more with feeling and it sets, sets an expectation that 
you know, I'm now having watched this one, I'm like, yes, you have to remember everything isn't going to be as can't be as good as once more with feeling it can sure. be really, really good. But I think and I try to analyze like where, like, the, the expectations, you know, were a little bit disappointed. Dancing was one thing for sure. I, I just felt like they couldn't could have choreographed a little bit more mm-hmm. stuff. I th- felt like they could have had a more of a balance between like they had a lot of big ballads, you know, of Lon, of um, of uh, Uhura, of you know, like solo n- moments, and yeah. and I felt like they could have had more group numbers. And when when Pike says, "You mean like an ensemble?" <laughs> at the end, <laughs> and she said, "I thought." I mean, it was very a lot of very fun and cute moments, but I also think that you know that this it's just going to be harder on the set of a starship to, to really get like a lot of uh, variety, which of course in the Buffy episode, you have many different um, locations where they have numbers and you can have a graveyard and you can have a bookstore and you can have a park and a, you know, an apartment building and whatever, you know, like that was like, basically people were singing off by themselves in their quarters or, you know, or yes. they had actually probably my favorite number is uh, is number one and uh, Kirk doing the Gilbert and Salt <laughs> and dancing, you know. So that was pretty cool. But yes, I would not come for the singing because I love the singing and I love musicals. Mm. So. And, but Nurse Chapel's song is the song that was stuck in my head for yeah. a week at least. It's and it's interesting because the... Uh, um, at the very end, when Uhura is humming, she's yeah. humming that song. Yeah, she is. Yep. That's the one that's and the earworm. Sorry, earworm. That's right? the one that's the <laughs> earworm. <laughs> it is. And, and I, but this time, second time or third time I watched it through, I watched with subtitles. And the subtitles actually say it's the song, it's the connection song, you know, that was Uhura's number. But it wasn't. It was definitely not like. In, it, not on my that, subtitles. <laughs> Yeah, well, this this was uh, this on I don't know American Paramount Plus I don't know, but yes, it's it made there was an actual mistake in the subtitles, and I was like, nope. I love the last doing the thing I like about this episode the most maybe is the fact that at the end the whole point of the show the whole premise of Star Trek is that final number where she's like, we all got to come together in a big, you know, ensemble number. And it's about them being on their mission and doing what they need to do. And it's got funny moments in it. It's got the, mm-hmm. it's got the moment of our, it's our prime directive. And Spock's like, no, actually <laughs> not. not. Really. <laughs> um, and, and there's that, that uh, I, I admit that I'll miss singing and, and Spock <laughs> says, I won't miss singing <laughs> at the same. It's, it's so good. But like that yeah. it's, it's, it, it gets to that moment where Pike who doesn't sing a lot. Cause Anson Mount, I think was not super comfortable with, it does his rock and roll dad meatloaf bat out of hell opera moment of mm-hmm. i'm so glad to proud to be your captain and all of that and like the, the, it is putting down in song the premise of star trek and it's a beautiful thing and that's that moment it, it doesn't happen as late in the episode for uh in Buffy, but it's that same moment of, you know, what can't we face when we're together? We're together. And mm-hmm. that that is, in the Buffy, then they tear everybody apart, but, because that's the point of that, because Joss Whedon is a jerk. Uh, anyway, but, <laughs> but in this, it's the it's that unifying moment that happens at the end, and it's uh, it's 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 great fun, um, but also, again, the point here is to serve the characters, and it does that too. But I agree, a lot of, a lot of people singing alone in rooms, 
and mm-hmm. not as much choreography and stuff that would have been a it, there's a real opportunity kind of missed there but i get it that maybe they just for whatever reason including like covid protocols couldn't do it mm. yeah but, i think i also appreciated like you said the music when i went back and listened to the album that very shortly after went up on uh mm-hmm. apple music and other outlets um because there's something about watching the episode and listening to it for the first time that uh made it kind of hard to appreciate sort of the complexity of what they were doing but that final number especially is is uh it spells it out just like you said yeah. and uh well i don't love this as much as uh those old scientists it's still uh a pretty good time and uh i'd like to see star wars try to do that huh dan <laughs> what do you think about that <laughs> I can give it a shot. They give it a shot. I don't know. I'm okay with it. Um, but you don't want to hear the lyrics. That's all. No. Before we, well, there's a robot chicken sketch that tells you what they are. Um, they, if if uh, if you're curious, because we talked about Buffy, but uh, one of the uh, Henry Alonzo Myers, who is the co-showrunner of Strange New Worlds, was a producer on the magicians which by the way isn't is an excellent show that everybody should watch and the first season is its worst season i think so just keep watching it's a great show but they they did they did four musical episodes and yes but those are jukebox musical episodes which i actually like better so that's why i was still worried going into this because i was like yeah okay i know this guy can nail uh jukebox musical stuff because i love the magicians ones they're great episodes and i agree you should you should watch them but i i still was worried and i shouldn't have been because this was good yeah so if you if you are curious but don't want to commit to all of the magicians just watch all that josh season three episode nine where they go to a music (laughs) magical musical realm and everybody sings and it ends up with uh under pressure and it's great and i'll also point out the single most emotional moment i would say in the entire run of that show is them singing Take On Me at the end of season four. I'm not going to tell you the context. Uh, trust Don't me. Don't make me cry, Jason. I, I'm tearing up here too. Trust me. Take On Me. Who knew? But it is absolutely the emotional peak of the entire series. So what I'm saying is uh, the people who did the Strange New Worlds musical, they had the pedigree and they came through. So. There's Good also a uh, musical episode of Supernatural, Jason. Is there now? 15 seasons, they did all of them. I can't, well, <laughs> they did every out genre. of the 500 episodes, I would think yeah. at least one would be at music. At least one. At least one. Uh, that brings us to our uh, season finale, which, again, uh, I think the Strange New Worlds producers have made the decision that while every episode could be standalone, maybe not the last episode, because we're going <gasps> to do a we're gonna do a cliffhanger that they ha- they took two of the 10 episodes to clean this up this season. And here they go again with Hegemony, an episode in which the Gorn uh, attack uh, uh, a planet with a colony and uh, uh, Captain Battelle is put in danger. Her ship is blown up uh, into little pieces, but there's still, pa- there's still pieces. And apparently only one person is alive in the pieces in its chapel well that's really lucky um Mm -hmm. and there is uh there is a a a whole like thing happening on the ground where there's action because there's gorns and they're trying to they're trying to uh, save themselves and then up on the on the ship there's a whole question about what the gorn are going to be doing up there and can they and can spock go over and save uh chapel who is miraculously again the only person who survived on the wreckage of the cayuga and it all ends in a big cliffhanger uh, where about two minutes before we got to the cliffhanger, I said, oh, it's going to best of both worlds here at the end, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely where it is going at the end of it to leave everything up in the air until season three, which will come approximately a 
year after the writer's strike is settled. Anyway, that's hegemony. What did people think of how this season ended? I would like the writer's strike to end soon and the writers to get basically everything <laughs> yes. that they want because yes. I need more Star Trek. I, I was not as smart as you, Jason. I did not pick up the, uh, on the fact that it was going to be a to be continued uh, until that appeared in my face. And I yelled out loud, very loud. I was glad I was home alone. Um, I was like, what the? And uh, uh, yeah, I think it was except for the part that I already mentioned that I was really annoyed at Spock being like, only a Vulcan can do this when you like explicitly proved that that's not the case earlier in the season other than that and what you already mentioned about you know like oh chapel is uh the only person alive and she doesn't check for anybody else like there were like those kind of like little nitpicky moments that i was able to just sort of skate over uh the rest of it i found very uh tense like in a good way i i, I liked all of the stuff going you know from the planet to the different ships and then seeing just the debris of the cayuga when they when they warp in i was just like oh my god Th- this especially coming after subspace rhapsody like it just felt like not like a downer <laughs> it wasn't a downer the way under the cloak of war was but yeah it was very like this is this is the gravitas is back here and we are in serious star trek land and i i loved it i thought it was great and i <laughs> I just want more and I want it now. I watched mm. this in close proximity with uh, Across the Spider-Verse. <laughs> both of those things contribute to, oh my God, this writer's strike is going to kill me. Um, but I, I also really enjoyed uh, this episode. I am a little sad about the destruction of the Cayuga. Uh, this was the episode that made me wonder, okay, that's so weird that they picked that name. Somebody in there must have an Ithaca connection. And yes, it's Henry Alonso Myers who was born in Ithaca. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise, why would you name a ship that? Um, but I'm sad that it got destroyed. I will say, I also is the episode that brought in my favorite TOS character, Scotty. Scotty. Uh, which I delighted to see Scotty yes. show up. It, I, I figured it out like, a, like as he walks in, I was like, who is this random? Oh my God, he's Scottish. <laughs> Uh, uh, but him and his his uh rapport with pelia at the end is just promising to be like i i had assumed you know they they zigged when you thought they'd zag right you know we we killed off hammer at the end of season one and i thought you know a lot of us figured that scotty would show up and they had a little voice cameo sort of thing um that was suggested to be it but then they they brought in carol kane who i think has been great and i'm kind of looking forward to a whole season of him being like her assistant essentially <laughs> and like you know to the point where he can eventually take over but uh, the fact that he's just sort of rigging stuff together uh and uh just his relationship with pelia and being like actually one of her best students but kind of uh a problem <laughs> uh was delightful uh there is a serious zombie vibe to this right like yes uh, Battelle getting implanted by the eggs and not telling anybody and then like right. the alien to, oh, too no. right yeah. right yeah. exactly yeah oh but- and so it's tense i mean because you're like sitting there going like well we I think pretty sure that she's the only person here who's expendable. <laughs> we know that's what that was, people right. make yeah. it. <laughs> right. But I'm hopeful that, that they'll save her uh, since they got her into the stasis field. Uh, but yeah, this entire episode is great. It's super tense. It's really well done. The scenes with all the people hiding in like the diner or whatever, like all of that, I think is very zombie movie, very effective. Uh, it looks great. The whole thing with the Cayuga uh you know the the debris and everything like it's a really good looking episode yeah there are some nits to pick but overall i you know 
I really enjoyed this and thought it was gripping. They used a small town backlot and uh, that was made for a different TV show. And I love that Battelle says in her captain's log, like, it's one of those settlements where they <laughs> oh, yeah. do the, the Midwestern <laughs> the town thing, century. which makes me laugh so much because, of course, it's calling out the fact that, like, in the original Star Trek especially, they use the back lots to shoot things. So they're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> it's a back- templates. It's, it's a, it's it great. is. That's right. It's, it's like a, a, a flat pack human colony. <laughs> it comes it's with a barber shop. Okay. Yeah, it comes with a lot of Allen wrenches. And a diner. You mm-hmm. gotta have a diner. Exactly. Martin Quinn, by the way, the first Scotty ever who's yes, played by somebody who's Scottish. from Scotland. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Uh, well, I... So I think the Gorn episode from season one was scarier because it was more like Alien, like the movie, like the, mm-hmm. you know, and, and things hiding in the dark. And this was... Well, I have never seen a zombie movie, so I could see... But I... I could what I know of them I could see how that fits um I liked um well of course that that Ortegas finally flying to the surface and I'm glad Ortegas isn't one of the ones who's uh what you know was beamed to the Gorn ship because on her first away mission that would have really been uh you know, sad for her. But uh, yeah, what is going to happen with this, no, uh, no, the whole no. thing? No, she was. No, she is. She was? She is. Oh. Yeah. That's, the, that's that beautiful... Wait, who comes there's, back? There's a moment Wait. There's a moment where we see them beaming up. Right. Lon, yeah, Mbenga, Ortegas, Sam, and the other survivors. Oh, and and, oh. and the effect is not the standard transporter effect, but it's subtle. This and is, then it cuts different... to Pike... Mm-hmm. And company oh, beaming aboard the Enterprise, and it's only at that last minute that they pull the trap door and say they're not on the planet. They're and, not, and they're uh, all I so see. Ortegas did get taken, which she is did get, that oh. moment early on where she's like, "Why did I want to do this again?" And Why then, did, yes, okay, yeah. yeah, I was getting, I was obviously confused because I was like, I know, like a lot of th- people were being transported there at the end, and of course, you know, with Chapel and and. Uh, Spock coming back. Can I say that it was just really funny to see a Gorn in a, a mask or whatever, a space, space suit? Like, you <laughs> know, breathe. they got spaceships, <laughs> right? Too. So He's why would they not? <laughs> and so, uh, but I was thinking at first, I was like, well, how scary are you if you have, you know, you can't bite? And mm. then I, then he was doing the thing with the tail. I said, "Oh, right, they have pretty massive <laughs> tails." Still pretty so, scary. Yeah, still pretty scary. So I was, you know, happy to see. I was happy, you know, when when they showed Ch- Chapel, you know, coming to on the wreckage of the Cayuga. I thought, is Spock going to swoop in and save her? Because that's going to be annoying if it's just a rescue the princess moment. Yeah. But, Vulcan, you know, the, on Vulcan Hello, wasn't. what I said was they save each other. I wish we they had saved seen. Each other. I wish we had seen like another survivor, or that she had scanned for survivors and hadn't found mm-hmm. any, or she found one but they died or something like that. Because it's so convenient that she's literally the only person left alive on the yeah. ship. That no, is, it's... I didn't love that. I feel like they could have done something with because she had just beamed up, right? And they were yeah. like, right, she's in the pattern buffer, right? right. Or something she like, oh, we've, we've already alluded anywhere, to that. Or she's like in her. the transporter yeah. room and can't get out because everything yeah. has been smashed or something, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah there I there mean, was another way to handle that that probably would have been better, but they they again wrote no. themselves in a little bit of a corner. I did like yeah. the fact that she wakes up and it's all the smashed. See, you can tell it's the last episode because they've put garbage all over the sets of the Enterprise mm-hmm. to redress it as the the wrecked Cayuga. And it's like, well, we can't do this until the last couple of days of shooting because we're mm-hmm. gonna smash parts of the set and put garbage everywhere. But it is a effective moment where there's like a dead body under under a thing and then she's just mm-hmm. been knocked over and like it is it, it, i always liked uh when the original series would redress or reuse the enterprise as other ships and i thought it was really effective and creepy here that it's this destroyed cayuga but yeah 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 right when that when that comes on the viewer um and you see that 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 totally smashed saucer section. Yeah. I mean, that was like, oh my, whoa. I was like, wow, they're going there. Like, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, like in Wolf 1, <laughs> uh, Wolf 459. It's the J.J. Abrams Star Trek when they go to Vulcan, right? Yeah. Yeah. When they, when they destroy stuff like that, that you're not expecting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's fun to blow stuff up. How are we? How do we feel about uh, ending the season on a cliffhanger versus not uh, very happy? <laughs> I mean, I'm happy. I'm fine from a storytelling point of view. I yeah. mean, I'm sad because I want to see it, but like yeah. it is effective, and like I will be waiting until it comes back because I need to know what happened to all our characters. So I don't. It's know, like I mean, the only time they allow themselves yeah. to do it, right? Is yeah, at the season, which is nice. Like, That's fine. I'm okay yeah. with it. Ten it's episodes. Full. You want to leave a cliffhanger? Great. Yep. I mean, it feels like an exclamation point at the end of like there's there's periods in between each episode because they're standalone episodes. But here's an exclamation point and then a couple of dashes and like an ellipsis or something. But like, who yeah. turns that off I, I and liked is it. like, I'm not coming back for season three, right? Like, who's, <laughs> who is that person? Well, yeah, I mean, it, the the cliffhanger of season one was like, wasn't a, it was a, a question that was going to be resolved. I could wait right. two years to right. find out. Because you know what's going to happen. A cliffhanger like this one where nothing was resolved. You know, this wasn't like a full episode with like a twist at the end. It was definitely in the middle, a best of both worlds like moment. And yes, I get it. But, you know, with the the vagaries of, of television production these days, it's just very, very stressful not to know when we're going to get the answer. I think most of the season has been written. Uh, mm. Because they were about to start shooting, okay. When the strike happened, so um, I imagine, other than availability issues, that if they, the, as soon as they settle the writers and directors' strikes, that they would be able to go. They would be one of the shows that would be able to go in production pretty fast uh, mm-hmm. because they're ahead of the game in that they've got scripts that are sitting that are probably shootable. Um, well, the actors are all contracted, presumably. So, yeah, I, I would imagine that they're all in whatever they call it first position, where that the, mm-hmm. you know they'll get the call and they'll they'll well, need to come. Uh, plus, they're all on strike, and it's not like they're doing anything else, unless they're like on Broadway or something. I guess, but I guess, yeah, I don't know. Which they could be. They could be. <laughs> now we know. Yeah, that's taking, true. They're taking the album on tour, is what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, before we go, any final thoughts? Things we haven't covered that you'd like to say about Strange New Worlds? Now is the time. It's real good. It's real good. <laughs> I, real I was good. saying on Vulcan Hello, um, I get. I, I watched the season and got to the end, and I just said, I kind of can't believe that they did it, and that I, I, you know, that they managed to make something that really does 
look, I grew up on on the original series from before I can remember. I watched Star Trek. I was when I was a little kid. I was exposed to it daily <laughs> at a young age, <laughs> and uh, so TOS will always have that place in my heart. It's part of me. I cannot believe that they have made a modern TV show that feels modern, feels current, and yet honors the whole feeling of the original. And this show does that. I think to me, it's also a testament to um, less is more. I mean, 10 mm-hmm. episodes, you know, we talked about a couple of times, but like I watched a bunch of Star Trek growing up and, you know, those 26 episode seasons, there are a lot of stinkers. There are a lot yeah. of stinkers because it's hard. <laughs> it is yeah. hard to write 26 episodes of television and film it every single year. And this proves that if you, you know, trim down your budget, you, you focus your budget on 10 episodes, you can produce really great stuff uh, and stuff that channels, like you said, all of the, uh, you know, aspects of the things that you loved about Star Trek, but also take it to sort of a, a next level. Like, yeah, it it is... I, I think it's a testament to not only the production, but um, I said this at the beginning too, the ensemble. I think that the work across the board by the cast in this entire show is great. I don't, I don't feel like there is a, a, a weak player amongst them. I, you know, sometimes I think they are given some material that isn't utilized them as well as they could, but I enjoy every single character and every single performance to, to some degree. Um, and, I love that it manages to squeeze itself in uh, amongst all the Star Trek canon. This is a busy area of like Star Trek, right? Like you can go way out in the future, like Discovery or whatever, way back in the past, like Enterprise. And it's like, well, there's not as much stuff to run into, but like, nope, we're going to throw ourselves right into the original series and have characters from the original series and have to work with all the constraints that the canon has there or figure out how to bend it to new interesting ways. And the fact that it succeeds as well as it does and looks as good as it does, I think is a huge testament to the the creative crew behind it all right um well who knows when we'll be back to talk about more (laughs) strange new worlds (laughs) uh but uh but i agree i I mean if paramount wanted to order um 13 or 15 next season instead like just to get us back up to speed (laughs) i wouldn't say no they don't need to order 26 right (laughs) obviously dan is right please please don't they'll just insert bad episodes but uh you know uh, give me me an extra three i'm not going to say no that's all let me thank my panel for joining me to talk about this uh, fun TV show, fun season of a fun TV show. Gene McDonald, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It was super fun. Joe Rosensteel, thank you. Uh, definitely won't happen again. Worse honor. He's our own Boimler. Uh, Eric Ensign, thank you. Do you know the odds of all of us being here mm-hmm. on The Incomparable at this time? It's improbable. And yet here we are mm-hmm. together, all of us. And Dan Morin, thank you. Um, boy, I hope nobody beams me onto the wrong ship at the end of this episode. Mm. Let's just check the transporter <laughs> pattern. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next time. <laughs>